0: This is an ABC podcast. Ninamani nai nai tiana, nai gaa nai gangabena. Hello, are you good? My name is Tiana. My Ghana name is Gangabina, which means the caring one. To begin, it's important that we acknowledge the country that we are on. I'm on Ghana Yata, the land of the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains. We would like to pay our respects to the custodians to the ancestors that nurtured the land and the Elders that have led the way for generations. This is your land, this is your country, it has always been Aboriginal land. And as this is a podcast whose reach is far and wide, we would like to extend our respect to the Elders of the lands this recording might reach. Yes. Girl power.
1: Hi, I'm Shari Sevens. I'm an actor and director and a proud Baraday-Jubba-Jubba woman. We're celebrating NAIDOC Week here at Fierce Girls' headquarters and I've selected some of my favourite stories about fierce First Nations women for you to listen to. Happy NAIDOC Week and enjoy the story.
0: This is the story of Queenie Mackenzie, the girl who became a living treasure. Read by Wiradjuri poet and artist jazz money. And if you're an Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person, we want to let you know that this episode contains the name of someone who has died.
1: Shh! Queenie's mum hissed. It's them. They're coming. Queenie ducked under the big wooden table in the kitchen. The room was dark, just how they needed it. Her mum scurried towards her, something black in her hand. Stay still, garag-garag, her mum said. Queenie's heart was pounding so hard she thought it might rock her whole body. She closed her eyes and stayed still, deathly still. Heavy footsteps crunched over dirt, up the creaky stairs, then a knock. Her mum moved her hands quickly, smearing charcoal into Queenie's face. Every inch of her skin. Cheekbones, hairline, eyelids, ears. Some of it got into Queenie's mouth, but Queenie didn't make a sound. She knew she needed to disappear into the darkness. Her mum opened the door. Two white faces peered in. The authorities. They were there for Queenie. Kenzie lay in the red dirt, looking at the clear blue skies of the East Kimberley. The charcoal had been wiped away. Her heart had returned to its normal rhythm. They dodged the authorities again. For now. Queenie let the earth fill her with calm. It was like oxygen to her. Queenie had light skin and fair, curly hair, so everyone called her Gutter Garag. It meant Blondie. Her mum was a Malian woman, and her dad was Gadia, a white fella. Queenie was stuck between two worlds. And she quickly learnt that because of the way she looked, she could be taken away from her family at any moment. You see, the authorities wanted to take Queenie away from her family and her country, all because of the assimilation policies of the time. There was a rule that allowed the government to take Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander children away from their families, thinking that they could make them better with their white ways. Queenie's face squinted into the sun. She wasn't leaving. It was her land, her special land, Gija country. It spoke to her. It told her secrets. And she was listening. Queenie grew up on a huge cattle station called Old Texas Downs on the banks of the Ord River. She was the station cook. It was her job to fill the bellies of all the hungry stockmen who worked at the station. But Queenie didn't want to stay cooped up in the kitchen. It's no fun sitting back and watching the men out the window, she thought. So, she tried her hand at everything. She managed cattle. She rode horses. It was hot, hard, busy work. But Queenie still hungered for something else. It wasn't bread or meat or the cakes that they would whip up to feed the masses. It was outside, beyond the cattle station fences. Her land, her special land, her country. Queenie connected with it every chance she had. She traced her hands over the dirt and the rocks, the leaves and the flowers. She filled her eyes with the creeks and rivers. She watched the way the limestone curved and noticed how the colours of the land sung to her. She memorised it all, the way you would memorise a poem, and it made her feel full. Queenie's cooking was interrupted by a blood-curdling scream. She dropped her pans and leapt out of the kitchen. "'Rover's come off his horse,' a stockman cried, out of breath and in a storm of panic." Rover was Queenie's good mate A towel around his head was soaked in blood Not only had he fallen off his horse he'd been trampled Queenie knew there were no doctors or nurses for hundreds of kilometres If Rover was going to survive it was up to Queenie I'll sew you up, she said She rummaged through her tools and found a sewing needle and thread She breathed deeply to calm her hands. Then she slowly started sewing, stitch by stitch, reattaching Rover's scalp back to his head. Days later, Rover was airlifted to the closest hospital. The doctor there wrote a letter to Queenie. You did a marvellous job, he wrote. This man would be dead without you. Queenie smiled. Rover, you owe me, she said. As Queenie grew older, she kept fixing problems. And there was one big problem the kids in her community weren't at school. There was no school. The closest one was so far away, you had to fly on a plane to get there, just like the nearest hospital. It was too far and too hard, so no-one bothered. "'What about them kids?' Queenie said to the others. "'What are we going to do about them kids?' The authorities held a meeting. "'We can set up a school with offices, a building, some good Catholic school teachers,' they said. But it would take months, and it just didn't seem like the right fit.' ''We can teach,'' said Queenie. ''We are the best teachers in this land.'' Queenie built a bough shed, four poles stuck in the ground, a grass roof and a mat on the floor. Perfect. She gathered the women to help her teach, and the kids came in droves. Queenie taught languages, she taught culture, and she taught them about the land. She told stories about the dirt and rocks, the leaves and flowers. She filled their eyes with the creeks and rivers. She showed them the way the limestone curved and how the colours of the land sung. They memorised it all, the way you would memorise a poem, and it made them feel full. Tap. Tap, tap, grind, grind, grind. Queenie watched as Rover ground the ochre and mixed his pigments. Rover wasn't a stockman anymore. He was a painter, a world-famous one. He was making a lot of money with his art and people from everywhere bought his paintings. Queenie watched as Rover moved his hand Painting hills and plains, the rivers and lakes. Queenie felt something stir within her. I think I could do that, she said. Yes, Rover said. You can do it. Queenie dipped a brush in the ochre. And right then and there, Queenie Mackenzie became the first woman in her community to paint. Once she started, she couldn't stop. She painted limestone hills. She painted rivers and waterholes. She painted ceremonies and songs. With a brush in hand, she was documenting, tracing, memorising her land. Every rock, every hill, every water, she said. I know that place backwards and forwards. Up and down, inside out. It's my country, and I got names for every place. She painted from her heart, spilling her truth onto canvas. For the love of her country, for her people, her language, her culture. It wasn't ordinary paint that Queenie used. She did something much trickier. She would gather her materials from the earth around Turkey Creek. She had red ochre, yellow ochre, white clay and black charcoal. But there was a problem. Only four colours to capture so much beauty. Hmm, Queenie thought. I need another colour. So, Queenie started experimenting. She mixed and stirred and stirred and mixed and finally came up with the most exquisite colour she had ever seen. Red ochre, white clay. It's pink! No one had ever done that before. And that dusty, soft pink became Queenie's signature colour. Queenie Mackenzie shone so brightly that one day, the authorities did come back. But this time, they named her as a living treasure. They gave her awards for her art and for her role as a cultural leader and advocate. Today, you can see Queenie's paintings in famous galleries across the globe, her land her special land, her country, is filling everyone's eyes. And it makes us feel full.
0: Roll the credits. The Queenie McKenzie story was written by Marie Yulu. It was produced by Rushna Farouk. David LeMay is the sound engineer who puts in the cool sound effects like this one... The executive producer is Monique Folley. Special thanks to Daniel Browning, Jazz Money, Taylor Power-Smith, Tiana Power and Justine Kelly, as well as Stephen Tilley, Timothy Nicastri, and Paul Penton, who flew microphones all over Australia to record these episodes. It was supported by our friends at the National Gallery of Australia. Recorded on the lands of the Gundungurra people the Ghana people of the Adelaide Plains, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the Jagara, Yugara, and the Pool people. We pay our respects to the Elders past, present, and emerging. I'm Ella Flitton, and this year I was a finalist in the Young Archies, and I love to paint. If this has inspired you to get arty, we have colouring in posters of all our fierce scales. They're on our website and if you're a teacher or a parent teaching from home we've made a bunch of educational resources that go along with the show perfect for primary school aged kids they're on our website too at abc.net.au slash girls to hear more awesome episodes of fierce girls for free go to the abc listen app or anywhere you get your podcasts we have over 50 episodes there for you Yeah, the girls. Over and out.